Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Joining us is the author, best-selling books, two of them, Obesity Code and The Diabetes Code. He is a nephrologist and functional medicine advocate. I don't know what either of those things are, but he's here to talk with us today. <laughs> Let me welcome Dr. Jason Fung. Welcome. Hi. 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 Good to be here. Good to see you. Um, I've, I've been sharing with the audience, with the family here, that I've started a few, uh, was it last week, week and a half ago, intermittent fasting. I think I'm on day 10. And I thought it would be easy because I've fasted my whole, you know, adult life for several reasons. Maybe some of it wasn't too healthy when I was in my 20s. But, you know, I've done three-day fast, four-day fast. I know that I'm built for a famine, so I don't fast too long, and my body will be like, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to hold on to everything. And then when it's over, I'm like, you know, I put it all back on. But the intermittent fasting, I I explore it as a lifestyle. I'm, I'm trying to see if I can make it into a lifestyle. But then I realized, Dr. Fung, I eat all throughout the day. I just be snacking and eating. It was a handful of almonds here, bag of, bag of skinny pop there, maybe a tangerine. Like, it's just constant grazing. And the last two days have been super tough. So mm. what is intermittent fasting? How does it work? And why does it work? Yeah, so that's a great question. So intermittent fasting. So remember that fasting is really just any period of time where you're not eating. So if you eat, then your body is going to store calories. So what happens is you eat, you're taking in calories, your body wants to store those calories. So you store it either as sugar or as fat, body fat. And uh, when you don't eat, that's when your body sort of gets that signal and says, okay, well, I don't have energy coming in, but you still need energy for your brain and your liver and your heart and so on. So it's going to take the energy that's stored away as sugar or as fat, and it's going to use it, right? And our body has the ability to store it. So that's really, uh, you know, just a natural uh, sort of cycle, right? So you're going to eat, you're going to store calories, but then at the same time, you have to have a period where you don't eat and you're going to use those calories, right? We have that ability. There's nothing abnormal about it. Otherwise you die in your sleep like every single night because that's, you know, this is just the way we're built. So what happened uh, in the past was that people would have a period of fasting every day, right? You're trying to balance your feeding and your fasting. So if you think about the sort of 70s, what people would do is they'd eat three meals a day and breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So you'd eat breakfast at like 8 a.m. and you'd have dinner at like 6 p.m. And you didn't eat after that. So you had from 6 p.m. until 8 a.m. about a 14-hour period of time where you're not eating. That's your fasting period. And you did this every single night without even thinking about it, right? It was just a habit. That's just the way we ate. And that's why you have this word breakfast. That's the meal that breaks your fast. So there's nothing cruel and unusual about fasting. It's just part of a normal cycle of life. What happened is that sometime in the 90s, people started to think that you needed to eat all the time and that it was healthy for you. Now, this was sort of contrary to everything that we had thought before that, because if you think about fasting, people have used it. It's literally the oldest dietary intervention in the book. You know, we have, uh, you know, the Bible will mention it. Religious texts will mention it. The ancient Greeks mentioned it. So we know people have been doing it for thousands of years. And the context had always been that it's something healthy. So if you think about how people thought about fasting, it was something like purification or, you know, detoxification or something good for your health, not something 
bad for your health. And that sort of changed up in the 70s, in the 90s. People started to say, well, you should constantly graze throughout the day. So this was not based on science. This was just based on somebody's opinion and probably helped along with a lot of uh, money from the drug, from the food companies, right? Um, because if you think about what happened in the 70s, people would say, like, if you wanted an after-school snack, your mom would say, no, you're going to ruin your dinner. And if you wanted a, a bedtime snack, she would say, no, you should eat more at dinner, right? It wasn't that she was trying to limit what you ate at dinner time. It's just that she's clearly defining this is the period to eat. This is the period not to eat, right? So, uh, you know, it, there, there was nothing unhealthy about it. So the, the, the point is that sometime uh, without sort of any science, people just started saying, oh, you should eat 10 times a day. You should constantly eat. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It's like breakfast is a meal. That's about it, right? It, if you eat it, great. If you don't eat it, your body will figure it out, right? Like our bodies are, are amazing things. It's, it's not like you have to keep, you know, shoving a right. muffin in your mouth to stay healthy. So that, that was the whole thing that it, it changed sometimes. So you're saying in intermittent fasting is nothing new. We've been doing it. Nothing new. It's been the last there for a long 30 time. years, the, the marketing people and the food companies have yeah. rewired our brains to do something that is antithetical to our actual health and what's natural. Exactly. So snacking had always been considered sort of this luxury, like, you know, a snack was just something that, uh, you know, it's an extra, it's a bonus, right? And then it became something that everybody had to eat every single day, right? And it's like, okay, well, you know, we survived thousands of years without snacking, but it, it, it sort of got entrenched in, like, if you look at the schools, for example, you know, people, you'll get a note. Like, oh, our, your son is going, I, I usually get these notes. Your son is going on a trip. Please send two snacks with him. I'm like, <laughs> why is he not eating lunch? Am I not feeding him dinner? Is that why he needs two snacks? I'm like, <laughs> what is the reason? Because, you know, I grew up in the seventies. I survived fine with those snacks, right? <laughs> my body's going to figure it out. Uh, you have stores of energy. If you think about it, if you have, you know, body fat, then you have thousands and thousands and thousands of calories sitting on your body. So a pound of fat is 3,500 calories. So most of us have at least 100 and 200,000 calories of energy what? sitting on our body. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. well, I don't have to think about it like that. Okay. So Dr. Fung, because we got limited time, I want to just bang in. How, how does it work? Okay. So I, I'm, I'm doing 17-7. Because the 16, uh, six, I don't do uh, 16, eight, I think it is. I don't do sixes and I'm weird. So it's like a, a, a OCD thing. So I was like, I'm gonna do 17. That 17 has been really tough. And I'm thinking about scaling it back to 16. What is happening over those 17 hours of not eating? And what does it constitute? Is it like, if I take Super Beats Heart Chews, does that constitute eating? What is, is it eating nothing? Is it drinking only water? Because I, I like my yeah, tea. Technically, technically, it's water only, but a lot of things like tea, green tea, you know, coffee, they don't really count in that they're not going to change. So our bodies, uh, what, what happens is when you eat food, so any food basically is going to trigger a response that tells your body, hey, food's coming in, now's the time to store calories, right? So either calories are either going in or they're coming out, right? When you start eating, it's gonna come in. Now, if you only eat a little bit, like just a 
tiny bit of something, right? Then it's it's a very small signal. If you eat a full meal, it's the full signal that hey, store calories. So that's the 16 hours. All you're all you're letting your body do is give it the time to switch over into this from the fed state, which is you know the hormones which tell your body to store energy have to flip and stay you know use the energy. It's, it's no different than for example. If you go to Costco and you buy a lot of groceries, you put in the fridge, right? Once your fridge is full, then you stop going to Costco and you take the, the food out to eat, right? That's basically all it is. You're putting it in storage, you're taking it out. Same thing with body fat. When you're eating, you're putting the food, the, the enter food energy in. When you're not eating, you're taking it out. So the, the fasting is just a way to allow your body to sort of use the energy that has been stored there. The reason it's hard is that uh, our culture has been to encourage us to eat all the time. So whereas in the 70s, it was very easy for people to do it, it becomes more difficult because now you see that there's food everywhere, anywhere you want to go, you know, office building. I've I've read, I've read that, um, fasting for 16, 17 hours also helps your cells to reset or to clean. It's like cleaning out your, the junk in your body, allowing the junk in your body to be swept out. Is that, is that factual? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, in terms of the, that's uh, often people refer to this process called autophagy, which is this idea that when you fast, you're going to break down not just, uh, you know, you're going to use glucose, which is good, right, to get your blood sugars down, you're going to use body fat, which is good if you're if you have body fat to lose. Uh, And then the other thing is that there's a period of time where you're breaking down protein. And that sounds really bad. People say, oh, you're gonna, you know, burn muscle, but that's not it. protein. There's a lot of excess protein. And you're going to, you know, have this period of autophagy where you're actually going to break down protein. And the reason that's good is that any process um, where you won't, you break down old stuff and replace it with new stuff is going to make you healthier. So it's actually a process of rejuvenation because at the same time as you're breaking down protein, you're actually elevating growth hormone so that when you do eat, you will replace those proteins with new proteins. So you're basically taking out the old stuff and then you will replace it, whatever is necessary with the new stuff. Sort of like if you were to renovate your bathroom, first thing you got to do is throw out the old tub and the old (laughs) toilet, right? You can't do it without breaking down. That's the first process of rejuvenation. So that's why it's important for the fasting. That's why it had always been considered something that's so healthy because you're going to get rid of the old stuff. I have been dying over here because I read the diabetes code. I was diagnosed with diabetes in October of 2021. I went the medication routine route. Um, I picked up your book in November of last year, and I am a no longer diabetic following Come on. your eating way and intermittent fasting. And so I would say to Karen, you know, I, I fast every week um, for 36 hours and 36 straight got- hours straight hours. And it has gotten significantly easier. And my body, just all the stuff um, that you said in the diabetes code is like, my body is so much better. I'm so much more sensitive to insulin. My blood glucose numbers are amazing. And my A1C, which when I was diagnosed was like a 12.8 is now like a 5.7. Yes. Yes. 
You That's did crazy. that. So can I just be <laughs> the founding member of your fan club? Because when, <laughs> when I heard you were on, I was like, "That's the guy. He changed my life." And I just, Amazing. I wish more people understood that you actually don't have to go the medication route. That you can change it through through diet and exercise. Obviously, is a big part of it. That's crazy, and I'm so happy for you because really, if you think about the A1C number, so six is considered normal. Six point five is diabetes. Seven is sort of the target. Nine is considered sort of out of control. So twelve、mm. is really, really high. So you went from sort of out of control diabetes, which everybody would agree, to non-diabetic. That's、yeah. amazing. Journey, and, and it was,、that. and it happened so fast from November, and then I saw my doctor in January. So、yeah. this really didn't, but I, I did stick to the protocol, and I really did the, the fasting thing. So I do a sixteen eight, and then the fasting weekly, and that has been huge. And when I was on the medication, my diabetes was poorly controlled. It's my numbers were all over the place, but they're not like that anymore.、It's、incredible.、Yeah. It's incredible because the thing about type two diabetes is that your body really has too much sugar. So if your body has too much sugar, if you fast, you're not putting sugar in, and you're giving your body the time it needs to burn it off. Well, when you do that, the diabetes just goes away. And in、yeah. fact, up until two years ago, everybody considered type two diabetes a chronic and progressive disease. Right? This is the crazy part when I wrote type、uh, the diabetes code in 2018. Everybody, the the American Diabetes Association, all the all the associations said it was chronic and progressive, meaning that they were telling you, every doctor, every nutritionist would tell you up to 2021 that you have type two diabetes, you will have it for the rest of your life.、Mm-hmm. But of course, I said no. That's that's baloney. That's definitely not true. <laughs> Everybody knows it's not true. It's one of the biggest lies in medicine, and that's what I said. About it in, in the diabetes code, and、um, you know, sure enough, you're one. You're living proof of that, and two, they wind up changing their tune because it was clearly not true. So they actually changed it, and they have criteria for remission、uh, in 2021. So in fact, now they're admitting that hey, this is a reversible disease.、Mm-hmm. You can get better from this disease. The key was that since type two diabetes is largely a dietary disease, you got to fix the diet. Not、yes. give drugs, right? Well, then the drug companies、big. won't make money, Doctor Fung. <laughs> right? <laughs> you're, you're 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 dipping in their pockets, Doctor Fung. Of course, we need this, to, and and now they're using the Ozempic, right, as a as a weight、mm-hmm. loss medicine, right? So the so、yeah. how do you reckon you you wrote the obesity book as well as the diabetes code, the obesity code? How do you feel about that drug being used now to combat obesity? Um, it's it's a fine enough drug. So the the essentially what it does is it makes you sort of、uh, have very little appetite, and therefore it's a lot easier to cut down what you eat or don't eat, right? So in fact, it's it's an okay drug, and it works quite well for type two diabetes. So you know I don't have any problem with that. The thing is, though, in the end, is that you have to fix the problem, right? So, if you have a problem, which is the diet, is you know, there's too much processed foods, there's too much sugar, then you got to fix that. And, and even if you use that drug as a sort of a, a training wheel to get you to a proper diet, that's okay. But at some point, you want to take off those training wheels, right? And this is the big mistake that happened with,、uh, say, weight loss surgery, bariatric surgery. People thought, "I'll just get the surgery." I don't need to fix my diet, 
right? But it's like, but it's your diet that causes all the problems. So then they, yep. you know, had workarounds, their surgery. So they all gained weight. And of course, very few people do the surgery anymore. Um, you know, a few years ago, my friend, the surgeon who does these things, is said, I, the most of the time I see people for reversing the surgery, not doing the surgery, wow. right? So wow. the the whole idea is that you still want to learn about what is the proper foods, how to eat properly, like, you know, something simple like a, a, a proper fasting period, like say 12, 14 hours, say even a 16 hour, like as long as you sort of build that structure into your day, then you're going to be way ahead. If you're just relying on the drug, the minute you stop taking the drug, yep. right. everything right goes, goes south, right? And, and that's exactly what happens. In Ozempic and all the studies, what they do is they just give the drug, right? And of course, doctors love giving this drug because you just have to write a prescription and people are out of your office in like three minutes, right? And yeah. you can. Uh, you and know. people don't want to change, really. They don't want to give up the, the real, they don't want to yeah. give up sweets. They don't want to give up bread. They don't want to give up pasta. They don't want to give yeah. up rice. I just figured out that like there are ways that you can eat without having those things. I have a great diet and, and I'm not suffering. I lost yeah. 20 pounds off the bat. Like, and I wasn't even trying to lose weight and it all came right out of the middle. And then also my cholesterol and my high blood pressure also were correcting themselves. So Look it wasn't, that. yes, it was a systemic treating it systemically is what I wasn't getting from traditional medicine. Mm. Yeah. And, and this is what Ozempic won't do for you. Right. So yes, it can make you lose weight because it's going to suppress your appetite, but it's not going to teach you what you need right. to know that I think, yes, you know, sweets are not good for you. So if you indulge, just understand that they're not good for you. Right. So you, that you can limit it. Right. So the whole, the whole, and, or, or, you know, yes, you need a proper fasting period in a day, because if you're going to eat, you're going to put on and, uh, you know, put in calories. So you need a period of time in the day where you're going to use them because otherwise it's just going in and not coming out. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of silly to think <laughs> these days, that, um, you know, when you think about the way that you, you lose weight, we used to say, oh, you need to eat all the time to lose weight. Mm -hmm. It's like, let's think about that for a second. How exactly is that going to work? <laughs> because it's actually impossible to lose weight when you're actually eating. Because when food goes in, your body senses the food going in and says, okay, let's store it away, right? So it's sort of like, again, if you go to Costco, you get groceries, you put them in your fridge. Now your fridge is so full that you can't close it. And then I tell you, you know, the way to empty out your fridge is to go to Costco six times a day or better, 10 times a day. <laughs> so right, you're crazy. out of your mind. <laughs> but that's uh, what we're doing. 866-801-8255. Dr. Jason Fung is here. Renee Seiler, of course. Um in the chat in Nubia, Ingrid wanted to know about glucose. Uh, what what happens when you, uh, how monitoring glucose use can be helpful? How, how, I don't understand what the question is, but what does that mean? What does that mean? Glucose so, monitoring? Who does glucose that? To continuous glucose monitors? Yes. So there's a, there's a new technology that's called the continuous glucose monitor. So in the old way, you would check your blood sugar or blood glucose by pricking your finger and putting it on a little stick. Mm -hmm. But there's this new technology called the CGM, or Continuous Glucose Monitor, where you put a little sensor into your arm and you, it, it'll stay in for 10 days to two weeks, depending on the brand. And you can check your blood glucose continuously through your phone. So you'll know your numbers. And the reason it's important is that if you see that certain foods are spiking your glucose, then you can cut back on those foods. 
Um, if you see that, for example, say you go for a walk after dinner and you notice, oh, my numbers are much better, then you can do more of that. So it's basically giving you information because, and, and this is a principle called biofeedback. That is, mm-hmm. if, if you only get feedback every three months of how your blood glucose is doing, which is the traditional right. blood test that A1C, um, it's going to be hard to change day-to-day behavior because mm-hmm. who, who remembers what you did three months? What did you eat for lunch? you know, three months ago, who knows, right? But if you get immediate feedback, like, oh, I ate, you know, I ate uh, McDonald's and my sugar spiked up, you know, immediately that, hey, I should really cut that back. Yeah, we should know that. (laughs) We know that before we even eat it. But you know what? I do think you have to commit to this lifestyle because it is it is sort of counterintuitive to what most people do. So you have to commit to it. That's the first thing. But when I was diagnosed with diabetes, my big commitment was to myself, I didn't want to progress to insulin. So they gave me metformin, which was kind of the first line of defense. But even then I was asked my doctor, how do I get off of this? And the he was kind of squishy with the answers. And then somehow your book appeared on my desk. And I was like, whoa, here it is. And, but what I've started to do is look at how can I make foods that don't spike my blood sugar. And one of the, my experiments this weekend, Karen, I'm going to share it with you was um, cauliflower fried rice. And it's incredible because sometimes you eat, like when you eat rice, you feel so heavy and sleepy. You can imagine what it's doing, you know, to your, to your blood sugar. So I try to eat that. I stick to really pretty much protein and vegetables and you can do that. Who can't do that? Well, I mean, you know, it's habits, right? Dr. Fong, it's habits. Exactly. It's like your habits, you make your habits, then the habits make you. Because remember that the, um, the 70s, nobody thought about skipping bedtime snacks. It just wasn't part of the conversation. You just generally never had it. So therefore, it's not hard to skip it because you're not used to it. So it's your habits. And it takes about two weeks to really build a good habit. Once you cut down your sugar, I'm sure you've noticed, then you're really craving it much less than, than before. Yeah. Uh, people think, oh, I can't give that up, but they can, like everybody can. And um, the thing to understand too about um, the diabetes is that there are certain foods that spike your glucose. And we know that because we've done lots of studies. It's called the glycemic index. So there are foods that will spike your glucose and there are foods that won't spike your glucose. What are those so, foods? Uh, mostly uh, vegetables and proteins and fats. So will not will not spike your glucose. Right? Will not. Yeah. Okay. So there's three major um, uh, types of food. There's carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And understand that carbohydrates are basically sugar. The chemical composition of a carbohydrate is a chain of glucose. So when you eat bread or rice or potatoes, your blood glucose will go up because you're eating glucose. If you eat an egg, you're eating protein and fat, but no glucose. So your blood glucose doesn't go up. So it's very simple. If you're eating glucose, your blood glucose goes up. If your body has too much glucose, you have type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. So therefore... The logical thing is simply to eat less of those foods that spike your glucose and eat more of those other foods, which is pure common sense, but not the standard (laughs) advice until a couple of years ago. And now the American Diabetes Association has endorsed a low carbohydrate diet as the diet with the most scientific evidence behind it. So again, not very hard to understand. You know, some foods spike my glucose, some foods don't. 
eat more of the ones that don't. That's all. That's all, right. all we're telling people to do. Let's take uh, a call or two, uh, 866-801-8255. Kyla, New Jersey, wants to talk with Dr. Fung. Dr. Jason Fung is here. You can follow him at Dr. Jason F-U-N-G or Dr. Spelled Out, JasonFung.com. Hey, Kyle, welcome. Good afternoon, Karen. I'm from East Orange as well. All right. I already help a Christian class of 85. What? Wait, Um, do we know each other? Let me find out, Kyle. (laughs) We probably do. We probably do. For Dr. Fung, I want to say, first of all, I am your Lyft driver who picked you up from the airport. So thanks for the tip. And also, I'm practicing what you shared with me, which is I'm shocked that you're on the air, and this is great. The whole world needs to know this. And thank you. What's the tip that he gave you? Oh, for for the lift driver. I mean, for the ride. Oh, oh, the, the actual physical. I thought he gave you a weight loss tip. He gave <laughs> you an actual monetary tip. All right, all right. We have less than five minutes, and and Kyle, good to good to hear from you. Thank you for calling, Doctor Fung. Intermittent fasting. I, I've seen these charts. Which one? And I believe that every body is different. So people need to really learn their body and what works for them, which is why I'm going on this journey. I'm doing seventeen seven. Maybe next forty days, I'll do, try to fourteen eight which is best what what works what doesn't work in terms of intermittent fasting yeah that's a great question so uh, a couple of things the most popular so everything works like uh, you can do 12 to 14 hours for example which is what they did in the 70s and that's good for keeping weight stable but not necessarily enough to lose weight unless you really alter the diet significantly. So you can go to 16-8, which is 16 hours of fasting, eight hours of feeding. And the the most important thing um, is sort of consistency because consistency builds habits, right? So if you start skipping breakfast, for example, then it becomes very easy. Um, A lot of times people ask, which one is better to skip, breakfast or dinner? And the answer from a purely physiological standpoint is dinner. It's better to eat early uh, rather than late because when it gets late, then your body go to sleep. Your body has nothing to do but store it, right? So it's better to drop dinner. But from a practical standpoint, the way we live our lives mostly in in North America, it's difficult, right? That's the, 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 the often the family meal go out with your friends, you celebrate, you go out for dinner more than you go out for breakfast, right? So uh, even though it's probably better to drop dinner from a purely practical standpoint, it's a lot easier to drop breakfast. And that's going to help you because you can decide what works better for you, right? And uh, then the other popular strategy is to go up to say 24 hours, which is a one meal a day strategy. And people will eat, say, one meal a day, uh, but you can go up like 36 hours. It's actually extremely um, powerful because what happens, of course, with the 36 hours when you do the full day is that, yes, you'll be hungry. So you need to sort of work on that. And I have a lot of YouTube videos that talk about dealing with hunger and other tips. And uh, but once you get past that, then you get the sleeping period, which is then eight hours of fasting that you're sort of like free because you know you're not thinking about it or you're not having to do anything about it and then when you wake up your body basically resets itself because every day like around 4 a.m 5 a.m your body sort of resets itself so your hormones go down and then they go up but you, you often feel the next day completely the same as if you had eaten most people feel better truthfully but you're not feeling super hungry. Everybody worries that, oh, the hunger is just going to compound. No, it actually goes back to baseline. Yeah. 
So that, yeah. that a full day is actually an extremely powerful sort of uh, way to go. If, uh, you know, and, it, it, you know, the longer you go, the more power the fast mm-hmm. has. But, it, you know, you have to be a bit more careful for people who are on med- medications, for people who have yeah. other issues and stuff, right? So there's no right or wrong answers, as you said, right? There's 30, but 16 is popular, 24 is popular, 36 is, is quite powerful. I'm, you know, I'm talk to um, you about the, oh, Renee. We, we we have one more caller, and we have less oh, than I'm two sorry. minutes. No, that's oh, all right because I just want to get the the listeners in. You and I will be be talking. George in Texas, you're on with Dr. Fung. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Quickly, Karen, thank you so much. You're welcome, Dr. Jason. I wanted to ask you about my wife has type two diabetes, and uh, two questions: Does COVID affect that? She had COVID, and I seen her numbers went up. Any and the type second of... question is, where can I find a proper diet? She's disabled, and I got to try to do the cooking. Is it anywhere I can go print out a complete diet for di- type 2 diabetes food that she can eat? Yeah, so um, in terms of COVID, so any any stress or so any infection can actually raise your blood sugar. So when the body's under stress, it actually releases glucose. Uh, so any type of stress can raise your blood sugars. And you may have noticed that during COVID. In terms of finding the proper diet, um, there's uh, various websites. Uh, you, you sort of have to go through because everybody has their own sort of uh, spin on things. So the American Diabetes Association, for example, some of its recipes have a lot of sugar in them. So, but there are, there is a, um, I don't, I don't know if it's free. It, there was a handbook for uh, practitioners that you could buy for like $8 or something like that from the, about the very low carb and low carb diet for type two diabetes. That was just in their store. You could go online and find it in their store. So that's a pretty reputable source. Uh, but again, it's often difficult because diets will vary quite a bit according to who you listen to uh, and, and what you do. There's no right diet but the low carbohydrate diet is effective for a lot of people. And if you look on the, on their website for the low carb and very low carb um, handbook, I think it's called, uh, you'll be able to find some, some good advice there. I want, uh, thank you so much for your call, Dr. Jason Fung. I appreciate you being here. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.